What's up guys, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. In today's episode, I am speaking with a good friend of mine, Mark O'Dwyer, founder and CEO of Irish software business, Big Red Cloud. Now, Mark is a very successful entrepreneur, but he's also chairman, uh, vice chairman, I should say, of the Irish SME Association, that's small and medium enterprises. I first met Mark about 20 years ago. We are members of the same gym, and it was he who convinced me to enter my first triathlon, the British Bay Triathlon of 2001. That is now almost 20 years to the day. We're still good friends, and I do credit Mark with turning me into the fitness fanatic that I have become, very much like Mark himself. But today's episode is not about sports or fitness in any way. We are going to be talking about sales and the selling process. And that is something that Mark is extraordinarily good at. Mark has bought and sold multiple companies. He's done mergers. He's been voted number one salesperson in Europe, Middle East and Africa, I think it is, or certainly his business has. And I wanted to bring him on today because I believe sales is one of the critical skills that you can acquire in life. You see, anything you want to achieve in life requires you, firstly, to sell to yourself before you sell on to others. So, for example, if you wanted a pay rise, you've got to sell your value to the company, to your boss. You're not going to get a pay rise unless you've convinced him of that. If you want a home loan, you've got to go and speak to your mortgage broker or whatever. You've got to convince the bank manager, basically, that your loan application is worth taking on. And indeed, if you want to raise capital for your business or for some sort of investment opportunity, you have got to sell both you and your skills and your investment proposal to any potential investor. This is all, like, no matter which one of those it is, the process is very, very similar in all cases. And so the object of this week's podcast is for you basically to understand and indeed, if you can, master this skill over the coming years. So without further ado, let us dive into the episode with Mark O'Dwyer. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher. And on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. All right, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gavin. Nice for you to have me on. Thank you very much. Not at all, Mark. It's a pleasure. You and I have known each other for many, many years now. We're just working it out there and it's over just over 20 years now. And That's we're very good friends. And I'd even go so far as to say that you're nearly a family member now that I've... <laughs> yeah, I got included in one or two of the Gallagher functions, which was pretty <laughs> special. And I appreciate that. Thank you very much, because you don't let too many people in. So I do appreciate it. <laughs> yes, Mark. Only let in the best, you know. You know, there's a lot of people here. You and I are very good friends, but the audience may never have heard of Mark O'Dwyer. So just for the purpose of uh, enlightening the audience, who is Mark O'Dwyer and what does he do? So you'd like me to tell, you're not yeah. going to read the bio that I sent you? Okay. <laughs> no, a little, okay. your little elevator pitch, if you will. I'm an entrepreneur. I've been in business for close on 30 years. It'll be 30 years in January. Um, I specialize in sales and marketing, uh, but I happened to stumble upon accounting software because I understood accounts. I'm not an accountant. Everybody thinks I am. And I set up a company called Big Red Cloud a number of years ago. So I've been in the accounting software business for the best part of 
25 years, I think. No, 20, sorry, 28 years. So I, as I said, I started off in sales and marketing. I did start with sales in Pitney Bowes selling Franken machines, which is a really good stomping ground to get your training in sales and um, showed how to accept rejection, which is a really important part of uh, the sales process and how to celebrate uh, successes as well. But also to understand that um, you probably get more rejections than you get success. Yeah. So you do need to be hard-nosed, some aspects of sales. You need to so build look, a resilience. That, you do. So I like I went from sales career to sales career, and I ultimately ended up deciding to set up my own business as an entrepreneur. And that was 30 years ago. So it'll be uh, the 12th January, 1992. So wow. on the 12th January next year, I'll be 30 years in business. And I've been through, I think it's four recessions now. Well, we'll get into all of that. I just, I mean, uh, that's a nice uh, intro, well rehearsed, Mark. And I was just looking for a little elevator pitch, but you've you've given us a good intro into uh, some of your backstory. And that's what I, where I usually start with these uh, interviews that I, I like to kind of start out with a bit of context, just so that the audience can kind of understand where you're coming in from. So can you, can you just sort of take us back to young Mark Edouard kind of leaving either school or college and going to get his first job and like fending for yourself. Like what did that? Yeah. All 17 and 18 year olds, uh, Gavin have aspirations as to what they think they'd like to do in the future. And what I thought I'd like to do was be in sports management. So I had got an interview for Loughborough college, the best sports college in the world, essentially. And they told me if I got onto the Irish schools rugby team, I wouldn't need anything in my leaving cert. So as an immature 17 year old, I came back and I concentrated on rugby, not my studies. And the first step of getting onto the Irish schools team is to get onto the Leinster team. And the morning of my Leinster trial, I had a temperature of 104 and I couldn't move. And that was the end of my chance of getting onto the Irish schools and hence my end of my chance to get into Loughborough. So then I had to kind of struggle. Uh, I, I think the mocks had gone at stage, the leaving cert mocks had gone at that stage. So uh, I managed to Blag an interview in the College of Marketing, DIT, which has now gone to TUD, Technology University, Dublin. And I got into a retail marketing course, which was just fantastic. It suited me. It was actually funded by the European Union. So I got £27 a week, which was great, uh, because when you're uh, focused on money and you got money as a college student, uh, it was great. Now, we we won't tell your, your listeners that I spent most of it on space invaders in, a, in an arcade, <laughs> but uh, that's another day's work. So look, uh, then my parents wanted me in a permanent pension job they thought the bank was the place to go little did they know what was going to happen uh, subsequent to the mid to late 80s and uh, i did get a job in aib and aib said look if you get onto the all ireland aib rugby team we will get you a full-time position in aib so what they did is they split the country in two the top half played the bottom half it was down in tome park in limerick um, and 10 minutes of the match i pulled my hamstring and that was the end of my banking career so in in, in my case there's been a lot of uh, faithful things that have come in and, and redirected the course of my a career journey and I think people will find that uh, throughout their own lives I'm not unique to that situation so look then I had to scramble around decide what I'm going to do told my parents I wanted to get in sales that was the worst thing I could have said to them but I pursued that I got into Pitney Bowes selling Franken machines and within the first two or three months I won top salesman prize and they realized that market found a niche now if we roll back to when they spoke to the career guidance in, in school in St Michael's uh, that guy said that my best asset was my tongue so clearly sales was something that I was destined, destined to, do. to do. So yeah, so look, Pitney Bowes was a great branding. It really polished me off and gave me the career I needed in terms of progression. I then got coached to a company selling fax machines. I don't know if your listeners will actually know what a fax machine is, but uh, 
Um, You're showing your age now, Mark. What's a fax machine? (laughs) It's the old form of communication where you'd be able to send a printed letter from one location to another location and it would come out on a thermal imaged uh, piece of paper at the other end. And it was, you know, it was a legal document and it was a predecessor to, to email. DocuSign and things like that so but it was in the early days Gavin when I'd have to go and I'd say Gavin will you buy a fax machine and you'd say yeah well if my brother buy Shane buys a fax machine I'll buy one so you ended up getting two sales so it was the early days because it wasn't any point in you having it on your own it it was important for other customers and stuff to have it too yeah you needed to communicate with people now a lot of uh, early adopters of fax machines would have been the legal lawyers and the accountants where they actually needed documents sent uh, to and fro between the different offices so look then I got poached to sell accounting software to accountants in practice, Incomplete Records, a company called Orchard Software in Dunleary. They promised me the sun, moon and stars in training, never gave it to me. So I ended up having to bring a computer home and learn it myself. I was a young father at the time, so I had to you know, wait till Amy was in bed and then study the accounts. But look, I had a good accounting teacher in school who gave me a good grounding for debits and credits and three-in-one bookkeeping. So I had a good understanding of it. And then I realized very earlier on to my career selling software accountants that if you could sell to an accountant, and this is with all due respect to your listeners that are accountants, if you can sell to an accountant, you can sell to anybody because they're pretty tight. So I was pretty successful at that and uh, did that for about two or three years. And then I got poached back uh, to a company that I'd been work- working with the fax machines on to set up a computer distribution. They were a Panasonic distributor. They just got the license to pan- distribute Panasonic laptops and printers. Uh, so I put the deal together for the printers that all went out to the ESB shops. I don't know if people will ever remember that. Uh, but on your ESB bill, you're able to buy a, a computer and a Panasonic printer. Uh, and I put that, that deal together. So we were ph- phenomenally successful. And the deal there, Gavin, was that if I w- went over uh, target, they would set up a limited company and I'd be a shareholder automatically. We went 180% over target. We set up the company in the January. And then the next thing, Panasonic, who were joint Smurfit with Panasonic Smurfit were the joint venture in Ireland. Uh, Panasonic bought Smurfit out, looked at all the divisions, looked at that reseller selling all the uh, computers uh, and printers and said, we're taking that back in-house. And they basically sucked me back in as product manager. So I went from you know significant earnings down to a, a fixed salary, pensionable job, working under Japanese managing director, Tony Tanamoto, which I did learn an awful lot from because the Japanese have a certain way of doing business, if any of your listeners have, have worked with them. and But it suppressed my personality. And I spent a year there not happy. And I just didn't know how to get out of it. And I went for a walk one day with a, an old colleague that worked in the company I sold the fax machines in. And we said we'd set up a business on our own. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do that. Now, that was all very well, Gavin, but I had just bought my second house I had invested significantly. It was a big jump because I had been earning quite a bit of money on the printers and, and laptops and we had a, a baby. So it was it was a big decision to do. Uh, my wife supported and we just threw a hat on it. After two years, everything wasn't going great. You know, you'd like to think everything goes right all the time, but it doesn't. Going into business on your own is very difficult and you do need to take the hard knocks. Uh, it turned out I was doing 77% of the business compared to 23% my partner was doing. And so look, we built up a, a debt with the revenue and I said to him, I said, look, you know, something has to happen here. So you can't take a wage until we start paying back the revenue. And he ended up deciding to leave. The auditors at the time told me to liquidate. I said, no, I'm not doing that. I will pay back the revenue. And that's what I did. So we, we spent three years paying the revenue back. Uh, but that was my original company. And I'm still going here in 2021. And, and did you have to buy Did you have to buy him out or did he just like walk yeah, away? Yeah. So I effectively bought him out, Gavin, by taking on the responsibility of the debt to the revenue. Right, and to right. the other creditors. So, so that's how I, how I bought it. Matt. 
And, and tell me this, Mark, the, I mean, you, you obviously, you found your niche in sales and you're the consummate salesman, like, you know, straight away hitting salesman of the year and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. do, does that translate into becoming a good entrepreneur in your opinion? I mean, yes no. or no? No, no, absolutely. You had a lot of learning to do. Yeah. Look, so does a good product guy who has a great idea become an, an entrepreneur overnight? No, he doesn't. Does a good salesman who has, is good at sales become an entrepreneur overnight? There's so many facets to owning and running a business, Gavin, that sales, obviously it's a key part of it, but it's not the only part. You know, you need to understand the accounts. You need to understand the customer journey. You need to understand your technology. You need to understand uh, supply chain. You've got to build a team. And I think the success to being a successful entrepreneur or the key to being a successful entrepreneur is employing people that can do jobs that you can't do and letting them get on to do it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's it. If you're a control freak, you're never going to be successful as an entrepreneur. You need to let go and let people do the jobs that they can do better than you and just let them fly. If they make mistakes, they can be fixed, Gavin. That's yeah, a, key, yeah. a key learning for people that are going to business on their own. That's great uh, insight. Yeah. I mean, it's, and tell me this, Mark, you know, looking back, you know, the world today is very different to the world that was, you know, 30 years ago when you were starting out. And can you just, you know, there's a lot of young listeners here that will have no clue some of the challenges that you faced in the first year or two. Can you kind of just describe some of the challenges that you faced, you know, versus today where you've got, you know, instant, you know, communication and you've got, you know, the ability to kind of get your brand out in front of millions of people sort of overnight, pretty much. Yeah, so they have they've obviously a lot more access to communication and funding than uh, I did back in the day. It was a struggle just to get a simple overdraft from a bank. I think it went to 30 banks just to get a £5,000 overdraft back in the day. Um, there's so many businesses out there that are offering, albeit at higher rates if you're a startup, but at least you have the access that we wouldn't have had back then. And um, the communication is so much easier nowadays because of the internet. I mean, to start off, we had to go door to door, putting flyers into people's houses, uh, their offices in Fitzwilliam Square and Marion Square. That's how we started off, offering a free Panasonic TV if somebody bought a fax machine. Your listeners say, why the hell would you have done that? Because the paper in the fax machine ran out and it was a recurring business. So the more fax machines you got out there, you were starting to build up your recurring business. So there was method in my madness. So it's thinking outside of the box is a a key thing. Um, Other things that were the marketing, it's a lot easier now. So you literally had radio, newspaper, uh, billboards and buses back then. But now look at the plethora of uh, avenues you have to get your brand known, all the different social media platforms, on top of all the old stuff, I mean, you still have the buses, you still have the billboards, you still have the newspapers, obviously not as widely used as before. Um, but the social media um, marketing that is to hand at the moment for new entrepreneurs is simply phenomenal. And if it's done right, it can be done inexpensively and you can get really, really good results. Yeah. So people have changed a lot as well. The buying persona, Gavin, has changed. You know, before you had to sell to people yeah. and why did you have to sell people because they didn't have as much knowledge because they didn't have as much access to knowledge as they do now there's so much information on google alone for somebody if they're wondering they're going to buy xyz product all they do is put in xyz product into google and they can learn about it whereas back in the day you had to explain to them what the product was and then explain why your product was better than your uh, competitor next door so the buyers now have become a lot more savvy and you're not really selling to them. You're just trying to a- encourage them and assure them that your service or your product is the one that they should be investing in. 
And, and so, yeah, because I mean, there's quite a difference between your initial sort of what you had to do with the customer. You had to sit down and explain all this kind of stuff and then cajole them kind of over the, you know, get them to sign the document. Nowadays, it's so different. You know, is there, is there still like skills in a salesperson? Are they very, very different skills now? I mean, when you're hiring somebody, what are you looking for? Uh, well, interpersonal skills won't have changed. So your ability to interact with a person, uh, that's key when you're interviewing somebody. So that hasn't changed and that will continue on for, for forevermore. The, re- the, the rapport. Now, like more and more, Gavin, a lot of the rapport has been done through WhatsApp, email, uh, and just uh, messaging, instant messaging. So you don't get the personality across. So what I look for is somebody who is prepared to speak on the phone. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of young, younger listeners have spent so much time on social media that they're nervous of, of, of speaking on the phone. So if there's a course out there to build your confidence, to interact with somebody, either on Zoom, like we're doing now, or on Teams, or on the phone alone, I think that is a key skill that younger listeners should, should try and look to. I have a couple of daughters, as you know, Gavin, and uh, I was appalled when, you know, during the summer, I'd bring them in here and when the receptions went on holidays, I'd throw them on a reception. They said, no, 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 we, we can't talk to customers. I said, why not? Because we, we don't do that. We send messages. I said, well, you're going to do that. So that is like, it was a key learning that I needed to embed in my daughters. But I think it's a key thing for, for people nowadays. So I look for somebody with interpersonal skills and we still communicate. So although at the moment we drive relevant traffic to the website to take out a free trial, we still put in the effort and make a phone call and talk to those people and get to understand what their requirements are for our bigger cloud software so that we can tweak it to meet what they need in order to get the best out of our software for their and I guess also the, the better the personality and the kind of relationship you have with them, the less likely they are to kind of pull out of a, of, a, of the relationship. I mean, if you're just dealing with someone over text and, and chat bots and all this kind of stuff, there's no personal kind of connection with anyone in the business. No, there's not. You're right. You're 100% right, Gavin. It, it's building that relationship and building a trust, building a, a confidence in you as the salesperson and the company you're representing, that you're going to be there for them. And, you know, you're the initial face of the business to try and close the deal, but you need to reassure them then there's other people in the support, in our case, that in the support division, or it might be in in administration in other companies or in um, service or whatever it might be, that they are there and they will pick up the mantle. However, if, if you're not happy with them, you'll always be here to interact with them in the future on your journey with this business for whatever number of years you're going to be a customer. That's, yeah. that's key. And tell me, Mark, have you gone through, I mean, thinking back to the early stages, have you gone through any kind of major mindset shifts or, or kind of realizations that, whoa, I'm, I'm way off on this and, and had to change direction in order to kind of keep it going? Yeah, well, I think I spoke to you earlier on about the time four salespeople walked out on me. And so we were left with no salespeople left. So I went out and I did the demonstration myself and realized my demo was pretty good. And we then recorded it and we used to send it out to customers. And if they bought, then they got a a discount on their annual support moving forward. So that was a major shift where I realized I actually didn't need reps out on the road per se. And I didn't have the car expenses and the mileage expenses and the overnights and the lunches. And we were able to sell as much with people in-house than we were um, on the road so that's been a major so the, so the transformation from digital where we, from the manual where we had people out knocking on doors to having people in-house has been you know absolutely incredible um, other changes are yes we went down the route of features that we thought customers would like we didn't do enough research uh, from our customer base uh, we went to the expense of developing the product and then released it 
uh, quickly to find we had to bring it right back. Like I know one product, we brought a, a stock module out and we sold it to 100 customers and we realized there was a serious bug in it and we actually get, gave all 100 customers back their money because it wasn't retrievable. So there was a complete 180 degree turn on that one uh, to try and you know uh, help our reputation. But the very fact that we, we took it on the chin, we gave them their money back, we accepted responsibility for our mistakes, the loyalty we got from those customers thereafter was like unbelievable. That's great. And tell me, Mark, if you were to do that again, would you go about it a different way? Um, yeah, there's a lot of things I would have done differently. When we went to the, the cloud, Gavin, initially, we had been introduced to a company that had code conversion software. So they were going to co- convert our Big Red Book software to run in the cloud. So we engaged in the contract. It was a 12-month contract. We were 10 months into the contract. Every month they showed us progression. And in month 10, they went out of business. No and what we realized after that was that they were actually showing us screenshots of work they hadn't done. It was just PowerPoint. So they hadn't, no. actually hadn't done anything at all. And they went bust and we were left with nothing. But in hindsight, that was a good lesson because having an old style desktop product converted to run the cloud is not the most efficient. So we set about rewriting Big Red Cloud from the start. And that was a better option in the end. But it took me 10 months and a considerable amount of money um, to learn that lesson. So there are things I'd have done differently. And um, the other thing I would have done differently is that we tried to listen to the stock exchange in 2015. Oh, I remember the, that. Yeah. On, yeah, the alternative investment market on London, Gavin. Uh, we got, you know, we got caught in the headlights by a broker in London who said, absolutely, you can um, uh, listen to the stock exchange. And we, we took them at face value. And we got everything done. We did all our due diligence. We did our verification, which is quite a, an intense process. And we got out onto the roadshow. So it's a two-week roadshow for anybody who doesn't know. You set a, a budget on uh, what the business is going to achieve. So you've just got one business plan. So it's business plan A. And you go out to all these investors and you're looking to raise X amount of money. We were looking to raise 5 million. And by the Tuesday of the second week, we had raised 4.1 million. Wow. And uh, we're going to close it on the Friday. And uh, an Israeli company issued a profit warning and all the small cap investors went running for cover and our brokers couldn't fill the 900 grand gap. So, so I learned from that is always have a plan B. So if we had a, a, a business plan that said, well, here's a plan B for four minutes, we would, would have been. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But like I was green, I was innocent. I was um, a little bit naive, to be honest with you, Gavin. And unfortunately, that happens in business. You know, we're not all knowledgeable out there. I certainly am. I'm a lot more knowledgeable now than I ever was. But it's only through the hard knocks that you get in business that you actually learn these things. And sometimes they can be so hard, they knock you off your pedestal completely and you go out of business. I've been very lucky that I've had a very, very strong business. I have a very strong team behind me. And it's only because of that that I'm still in business today. How much did that uh, adventure cost you, the, the, the attempted listing? Yeah, a six-figure sum, Gavin. I can't wow, give you the yeah. exact Big figure. money, yeah. I, I did negotiate. Like, I was smart enough to negotiate a no-fill, no-fee basis with the broker, but I had all the accountant's fees, I had all the lawyer's fees, and then you also have to do PR when you're listing on the on the stock exchange. All that had to be paid up front. So there was over six, it was a significant six-figure six figure sum. But as I say, the company was pretty strong and we were able to survive. So what we did after that is we kind of, went in under our stone, licked all our wounds and said, look, we're just going to make the company profitable moving forward. Uh, and that's what we've done. And we've made Bigger Cloud like a serious success. We've over 75,000 businesses using our products through our three products, our Bigger Book accounts, our Bigger Book payroll and our Bigger Cloud accounting software. And it doesn't matter what type of business, you know, I know you're specifically in, in construction and, and building and, uh, and architecture. So we have all those people uh, using our software. 
We've got yeah. builders, we've got construction workers, we've got electricians, uh, we've got the butcher, we've got the baker, we've got the candlestick maker. <laughs> we, you know, we've got everybody that that rents the buildings that you guys uh, develop uh, as customers. We didn't yeah. go down the vertical route, which has played into our hand because of COVID. Because if you think of a, a vertical software company in the hospitality area, they were snookered during COVID. Like yeah. they would have had to freeze all payments with their customers and had no cash flow. Uh, the same would have gone for like sports centers or hotels, you know, restaurants, cafes. Uh, but because we're cross vertical, we were, we actually in 2020, we were 30% ahead of 2019 and we're already 27% ahead of 2020 uh, this year. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us, Mark, just in terms of the, like the principle the principles of sales. I mean, for somebody who isn't, you know, you know, there's often, you said at the beginning, your parents were, you, when you told them you wanted to be a salesperson, they were immediately like, no, 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 no. I mean, because there's often that kind of view of salespeople, but like sale, sales is a very important skill to have. And I mean, if you want to do anything, you have to be able to sell. You have to okay. be able to either sell yourself or sell your product or sell the, you know, the proposal or the investment that you're trying to raise money on. So give us, you know, in your view, just what are the kind of the key components that you need to master to actually be a good salesperson? Okay, so the first one is body language, Gavin. So you need to come in as if you're, you know, that's irrespective. So one way of dealing with that is to stand yourself in your mirror in your bathroom and look yourself in the eye and just give yourself and develop a, you know, a very confident persona from the very start. Body language when you're going in. Don't go in with your arms folded. I know you can see me now, but your listeners can't. Like if you're going in there, you're already negative. You know, don't don't have your hands crossed in front of you. Have your hands open. Nice strong handshake. That's huge. One of these wet limped uh, handshake <laughs> is is a disaster where you just literally offer your fingers. The wet like sponge. That, yeah. Yeah. It's like just don't. Like whether you're confident or not, you need to pretend you're confident. So there's lots of people who are shy, who come on podcasts or do whatever else, and, and they're out of their comfort zone. So the first thing you need to be is out of your comfort zone and show your confidence. The second thing is you need to um, show the features and sell the benefits. Okay, so people want to see whether that's yourself, you know, what a feature of yourself, um, whether it's your career to date and you're trying to get a job or whether it's a product or service you're selling, that's the features. But, but the guy who's buying or the girl who's buying is only interested in the benefits to them. So that's key. So show the features, sell the benefits. They're key. If two years, God gave you two years to listen twice as much as speak. Now, I know I speak an awful lot, but in a different scenario, Gavin, I, I know I haven't drawn a breath here in this, but I'm just trying to get out as much information for your listeners as possible. But it's key to listen. And why do you need to listen? You need to listen as to why the customer needs whatever you are selling them or whatever your competitor is selling them. And if you can find out one key thing that they say that your software or your product or your service has over and above your competitor, you zone in on that. But you'll only find that out if you listen. If you over-talk somebody, they're just going to get annoyed at you. Yeah. Okay? So confidence, show the feature, sell the benefits, and listen. They're, yeah. you know, three, three key things that I would think, no matter whether you're as you say, you're trying to get funding for a, a business, a, a build, building project you're trying to do, and you're selling yourself to the bank. You just need to be really confident. You need to show the features and sell the benefits. And the benefits in that case are what the, the bank are going to get on the back of backing you and you know the figures that are involved um, in, in terms of what return investment they'll be getting. Um, yeah, yeah. And 
you know, just give them that bit of confidence in, in your presentation. And listening is the big one, all right, because what I always actually say to my kind of people that are listening to me is that you have to understand the motivation of the person on the other side. And if you're listening, you can actually figure that out quickly enough. Whereas if you go in say, you know, this is the deal, this is how it has to be. You haven't listened to what it is they're looking for. You might be trying to sell a lemon to someone who's trying to buy a, an apple. Do you know what I mean? Correct. And it's, that's where the motivation is so important. Yeah. Hundred percent. Or as I said, if you if you listen and you hear something that your software has that your uh, competitor doesn't have, you will only find that out if you are listening. Mark, going back to you, you know the business, you, you've made it into a successful business now. And I mean, at what stage did you decide? You know, there was there was obviously a moment when you you sort of thought this is all going to work out. You know, I've secured a good customer, or I've I've just achieved something that's kind of like a line in the sand, and I'm and I'm and I'm getting to this point where I feel confident now I can scale the business a bit more. Like when were those moments that you kind of found, yeah, I'm actually ready now to kind of jump to the next level? Well, I have to roll back as to what the motivation of the software of the, of the business was in the first place, Gavin. And that was when the realization after two years that we weren't doing well. And the reason we weren't doing well is we didn't keep proper accounting books and records. It's a very simple thing to do. We were keeping it on Word and Excel, which most people think of fine, but it's not. Because when the early days, when you got four or five customers, it's grand. If they're part paying, it's easy to understand who owes you what or whatever. But when you get 50 customers or 100 customers and you don't know who owes you what, what do you owe to the revenue, what you owe to your suppliers, how much money you have in the bank, it gets very unwieldy. And it was that was kind of a tipping point in my career, Gavin, where I realized there had to be a simpler way out there to have an accounting package. And hence, that's where Big Red Book came along, where it's a really simple an easy to use product that's based on the old red ledgers people used to use, which your listeners have probably never heard of, but it was an old red book with, uh, it looked like a spreadsheet inside essentially. So it's columns and rows where you wrote down the invoice number, the date, the person, the amount, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that was like the tipping point. So then you go off and I've got the big red book and then we're at a, I guess, a crossroads in the business where I went to an Enterprise Ireland seminar about moving your product or service to the cloud. And there was 20 key points on that slide. And we, ticked 80% of them. And it was that point that I knew that we needed to go to the cloud. So that was 2009. So your listeners now will, will have probably grown up with the cloud and they won't understand that that was really, really, really early adopters. So the first thing we had to do is then, what platform do you go on? Do you go on Amazon, AWS? Do we go on force.com, the Salesforce platform or what? So we chose to go on the Microsoft platform and we went down that route. And Microsoft were so happy that I think it was a 19 year old company at the time were betting their future on their cloud platform that they supported hugely. And we were a worldwide Microsoft uh, uh, case study for them. And uh, it proved to be the best thing for us because subsequently Microsoft had become the highest ranked security cloud platform in Europe. So it's the most secure platform you can have your uh, data on. And all my customers' accounts are sitting on that. And it's in the Dublin data center here in Ireland. So it's even saved here in Ireland. So, so that was another tipping point. So then you, I had to go and transition from a traditional business where I sold desktop software to Gavin Gallagher to selling Gavin Gallagher a cloud-based product, which was software as a service. So instead of getting a thousand euros off Gavin, I was now getting 25 euros a month. So I had a 975 euro hole in my cash flow, but I still had 20 employees. So how do you bridge that? So you had to come up with unique ways of bringing in more cash and then trying to educate the accountants at the time that this was the way to go. So it was, it was a huge learning thing, both for my staff, both for me, both for my company, and both for our customers. But then fast forward, we're now nine years in the cloud. The recurring income is phenomenal. 
it's going up all the time. And uh, we have a 94% retention rate. So you might say, well, yeah. why don't you have 100%? Well, there's three reasons why we don't have, we don't retain those 6%. One, they outgrow our product, which is understandable. Two, unfortunately in Ireland, as you know, Gavin, in, in the industry you're in, broadband isn't 100% coverage. So there's pockets in Ireland that don't have good broadband. So they can't use bigger clouds, can't use any cloud product in those areas. So that's another reason. And they go yeah. back to our desktop product. And the third reason is they go out of business. And that's just, you know, a fact of life. Businesses don't always last. So, 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 but we're scaling all the time as a result of that. And so when you get to a, an inflection point where you realize that the business is consistently going up, that's the point in answer to the question you asked as to when you decide to scale. So you look to, we're looking at potentially going to Malta and Cyprus. Why? Essentially because of Brexit and essentially because Cyprus and Malta have the same accounting rules as the UK and Ireland and they're English speaking. They're smaller markets and easier to get traction in there. So they're markets we're looking at at the moment. We're obviously looking at the UK and probably we'll do that in a similar format to the way I did when we had a, we used to be the biggest uh, channel partner for SAP third largest software in the world. And here I, I grew that business to be the biggest partner in Europe, Middle East and Africa. Uh, and we did that by acquiring businesses in the UK. So on the side, I'm also looking at acquiring uh, payroll companies in the UK. Why payroll companies? Because payroll and accounts are brother and sister. Yeah. And if I can get a UK-based cloud payroll company and marry in bigger cloud, I can sell bigger cloud to their customers. And then I can bring the cloud payroll back to Ireland and sell it to my uh, customers here in Ireland. Interesting. Yeah. You've got a great strategy kind of figured out there (laughs) at this stage. I wanted to get into the, uh, you're sporting, you and I, as I mentioned, you know, kind of, I actually put you down as the guy that introduced me to sport and and all that kind of stuff, because I wasn't particularly sporting at the time. And, and fast forward 20 years and, and you and I would both be uh, kind of hanging around similar circles that are, you know, into triathlon and all this kind of stuff. How important is the sports um, side of it to you in, in terms of just your mindset and stuff like that? Oh, it's massively important. I mean, I played rugby from the age of seven on, Gavin, uh, and I think it's hugely important for parents that might be listening to your podcast or even younger members to get involved in a team sport. It's a huge network. You don't realize at the time, but the amount of people and friends I've made over the years from playing rugby is incredible. And you bump into them in business and in, in, in different sports clubs that you meet over the years. So uh, sport has been always an integral part of my life. And then in, 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 when I set up business, um, in order to be on top of your game, I find if I am at my fittest, I'm thinking more clearly, I am able to make decisions more clearly, and I am full of far more energy. Sometimes it drives the staff mad because there's so much energy. <laughs> but if you own the business yourself, you, you really need to keep up your, your energy levels. And then that results in a better, healthier life and more longevity. And you're not out sick. You know, I have staff and they're sick on a regular basis. I think I've been sick. I was sick once. I got shingles there about two or three years ago. And that was the first time in 20-something years that I'd been out, out of the business. So, yeah. so it's, it's, it's huge. But the other thing, Gavin, is when I'm training and I'm on the bike, I come up with some of my best marketing ideas because you're clear, you don't have any noise, white noise outside, or people ask questions or your door in your office being opened and you're out in the, you know, the countryside of Wicklow and you're just thinking, and, or if I go on holidays, it drives the staff mad because I always come back with all these mad ideas. <laughs> um, but it's because you have time to think and, it, and, and your business is your baby and you're always trying to think of how you can better it. And uh, if your mind is, is cleaned and cleared up of, of all the noise, 
then you have more time to come up with the more unique ideas I get. And so you, I mean, I know from, you've done six Ironman events now at this stage and the amount of training that you have to do in order to kind of achieve that is, is pretty significant, but you've, you've basically built the business to actually give you that freedom now at this stage. How many staff do you have today? Yeah. So we've 25 staff and you're right. I have built the business to be giving that freedom for many, many years. I used to go off to Mallorca for five to six weeks uh, during the summer, uh, which was fantastic. Left the business run itself. Uh, the, the training you say, I don't know if people will know what an Ironman is, but it's a, a 3.8 case, 180 kilometer cycle and a full marathon, a 42.2 kilometer run, all back to back. So you have 17 hours to do it, and it's quite the challenge. So in order to do that, you have to put in a significant amount of training, and that takes upwards of 20 hours a week, as well as you know running a business, being very involved in my family as well, and making sure you get out to see uh, their sports games or any of their uh, functions. So you do have to manage it. Uh, like you project manage a lot of your building work, Gavin, it's all about... Uh, just just having the timings perfect so if I can get up early no I, I do get up early and I'm at the pool in UCD for six I could have an hour or two hours done before I'm actually in work before nine and so and it's also building you know I'm lucky in terms of the, the office is six minutes from the house so I don't have the big commute time that a lot of people will have yeah. so that then gives me the commute time that some people would have to put into my sport my training then when the girls were younger I would wait till I went to bed and then I'll do my training after that so it's a matter of just fitting the training in around your life and making sure that it doesn't, one doesn't affect the other. That's important. doesn't so take over good, your life. Yeah. Yeah. If you can keep it balanced. I mean, you know, sometimes it does get out of control and you need to, you know, pull yourself back a little bit, but um, it, it like, don't get me wrong. The Ironman is pretty intense. It's pretty insane. And it does take an awful lot of training, a lot of mental strength, but you know, the, the euphoria at the end of it is, is worth yeah, I hope to experience it next, next August. Yeah, well, you're really lucky that it got cancelled. So yeah, it got cancelled two years in a row, which is yeah. the, the most annoying thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, just Gavin, when you go into that, remember that you can't uh, control the weather. I've had two in 40, 40 degree heat, which were unbelievable. Forty degree in, heat. Yeah, I've Jeez, had uh, one. Wow. It was in, one was in Austria. It was in a glacier lake that that it would definitely have a wetsuit. And swimming is not my best sport of the three. And uh, it was a non-wetsuit swim. The water got over 24 and a half degrees. It was that hot. So two in, hot, in 40 degrees. And then I had one in thunderstorms where they had people helicoptered off the, off the mountain. And then one of the ones in 40 degree heat, there was uh, 40% of the 3,000 uh, starters didn't finish. 40%. My God. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough race. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to, to the point where I go and do mine. Mark, just in terms of some advice that you would give to people who are kind of starting out their career and, you know, the career path that you've taken so far, I mean, is there anything that you would, would have done different now? Or is there, are there kind of places that you should kind of learn the ropes before you sort of start your own business? You started your own business quite, quite early, if I recall. It was 27. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so the bit of time just, that you put yeah, into uh, making uh, business owners a lot of money because I was pretty good at sales. And I said, look, if I can do that for them, I can do it for myself. But as I said, look, it, you know, it isn't what it seems to be at the start. I thought exactly that, you know, I'm going to make all this money myself. But when I, I went from a business where you had the support around you in terms of the administration, uh, the purchasing manager, the delivery guys, where you had a, a structure there. And you had eight hours a day to sell. And that's all you have to do. And everybody else then took over the order deliveries after that. To go into your own business where you had six hours to do all the deliveries and administration and only two hours to sell. It was a rude awakening, really rude awakening. So that you, you need to understand that you're not going to have the same amount of time 
because there's only a finite amount of hours every day, as you know. Yeah. And there's only a finite amount of time in business hours. So nine to five thirty is generally what a business is open, um, unless you're obviously selling on the internet. And so you have to understand that. You also have to understand that you're, as I said earlier, the key skills required to run a business aren't necessarily skills that you'll have yourself. So you need to buy in people for that. And uh, one thing I would have changed, Gavin, I would have been better funded. I only borrowed, uh, I only put two and a half thousand pounds at the time, it was Irish pounds at the time, and my partner put two and a half thousand. So when you set the business up with five thousand pounds, that was not enough money. So yeah. I would really uh, stress on any of your listeners out there to be do a proper budget, do a proper business plan. Don't be naive and under under uh, underestimate uh, our our budget. The costs are going to spiral out of control, no matter how. Uh, good you are at keeping on top of them so i would make sure that you're well funded before you do it and give yourself a decent amount of time and that's not just yourself that's your wife or your husband or your partner whoever it is if you're going into business on your own you're going to say well i'm going to give this x amount of time now don't say it's six months don't say it's 12 months because that's not going to work you need to give it three years so you need to have a runway of cash flow to keep you going for three years to uh, meet any rainy days or any unexpected costs. And that's probably one of the key things that have changed that I would, I would, and I'd be more, I guess another thing I'd be more reliant on, and I hope this is gonna come across sexist, I would be more reliant on the female uh, that would be in the business to help select and interview people. I think ladies have far more intuition than men. And I'm very gullible and I take people at face value. And sometimes I've interviewed people and say, oh yeah, they're great and they haven't worked out at all. Like I took on a sales guy in the UK, Gavin. I don't know if I've ever told you this. And after six months, he had sold nothing. Now he came with an unbelievable pedigree, selling lots and lots in his previous company. But whatever it was, he didn't do anything. I went over to fire him. He kind of sensed I was coming over to do that. He didn't give me the keys to the office back. He didn't give me the laptop back. And he hid the BMW 318 IS that I had given him. And I ended up having to get a private investigator to find the car. It took him six weeks and we found it parked in a forest somewhere in the back end of the UK. What was his whole deal? Like, I mean, he, did he just bullshit you into the, or was yeah. he actually a good salesperson previously? Yeah. Okay. Look, to give the guy a little bit of fairness, I guess, I don't know much credit. <laughs> credit. He came from a company that had lots of, lots of support, big company, was generating the leads for him and was doing all the ancillary work around sale, a salesperson to us, which was a new startup in the UK, essentially, where he had to generate his own leads, close his own leads. Etc. Etc. And he just he just couldn't step up to the market. market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that happen before. All right. Yeah, yeah. So I think you know, depending on if you've got a, a, a female in the business, depending on their intuition in the interview process, uh, I think is a really that's helped me now because we've got a C a COO in the business here. She basically does all the uh, interviews, um, and it's always a team, and we tag team on the questions, and it works out much better. And we've we're very lucky in that people have stayed with us. For years and years and years, we don't have a huge turnover in staff. And that's because we have got that down pat now at this stage, Gavin, and we can understand and read personalities and understand that they'll stay with us. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Well, Mark, I'm conscious of the time. I was just, if, if people wanted to reach out and connect with you and investigate your product, where's the best place to connect with you or find you? 
Yeah, BigRedCloud.com. So we're a simple and easy to use accounts and payroll software, uh, as I said, across verticals. So any type of business, no matter how large your turnover is, once you have simple accounting requirements, uh, we embrace all the latest technology, Gavin, as well. So we have AI bringing in automated purchase invoices into the into the system. Uh, we have open banking with machine learning. So we cut down an awful lot of the day-to-day manual, you know, stress that people have just inputting manual stuff uh, it cuts down errors cuts down times and saves a significant amount of money so biggercloud.com uh, i'm mark at biggercloud.com is my email happy to answer any questions and you're um, very accessible i'm on it's mark Edouard on linkedin and um, i'm on instagram and facebook as well but um, that's mark with a c oh yeah sorry yeah yeah, yeah. my parents <laughs> jokes not mine but mark with a c thank you Gavin. all right mark it's been a great pleasure chatting with you and look forward to catching up with you soon Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you enjoyed it or found it useful, please take a moment to leave a review over on iTunes or indeed share it with a friend. It really helps grow the podcast and reach more people. If you have any questions or topics you would like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via my Facebook group, Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will always find me on social media by my handle, Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all the projects I'm working on by joining my tribe. Do that by adding your name and email over at gavinjgallagher.com. That's all for now, folks. See you back here next week. <music>